Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is a day I've been looking forward to for two and a half years. We're really proud of Timeline. We're going to reimagine Windows. Microsoft is announcing the breakthrough game console called Xbox. We've created a platform attuned to consumers' changing behaviors and an evolving sense of play. We set out to make the best watch in the world. And today, we're introducing Nexus 7. This is it, Xbox One. And we are calling it iPhone. The latest news, the newest products, the biggest names. Welcome to Your Tech Report. Online at yourtechreport.com. Join Mitchell Whitfield and Marco Flalo for the next hour of Your Tech Report. Yes, indeed. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Marco Flalo. Welcome to Your Tech Report on Twitter. It is at Your Tech Report on Facebook.com slash Your Tech Report. The pages of yourtechreport.com and our email address is especially important to the show because we're going to go to some of your emails to wrap up the show this week. It is contact at yourtechreport.com. Mitchell Whitfield, how are you doing this wonderful day? Uh, you know I'm doing incredibly well. A lot of things to talk about and a lot of things in my wheelhouse that I'm excited to talk about. But you know what? It's uh, sort of an interesting way to end the week. So I'm not going to say anything more than that because I know there are some things we're going to share on the show that I'll share my feelings about. But yeah, everything's good here, man. How about you? I, I'm not bad. I wanted to kick things off with IKEA because we heard a couple months back that they <laughs> are going to uh, add wireless charging to their furniture. I mean, IKEA, you know, we, we joke about IKEA. I think they're the, the whole thing about IKEA is just putting these things together. Yes. IKEA furniture, some is built to last, some doesn't necessarily last beyond... Maybe one move, maybe two moves, depending on right, what you're doing. Right, correct. Um, but they're adding wireless charging to their furniture, and we're going to see the first of this iteration arrive this month in stores. Really cool. Uh, not only really cool, but you know, we also, for, for our listeners that don't know, we also do um, a segment on the Arlene Bynan Show, another fantastic show on Sirius XM. We do a tech segment every Friday, and Mark, I actually talked about this on Arlene's show, and she got really excited, and for good reason, because when you think about wireless charging, being able to put your phone down on your chair, on your desk, and ha imagine not having to worry about a cradle even, uh, just ha putting it down on your desk, having that automatically charge your device... IKEA is not only doing this at a low price point, Mark, but from what we understand, they're also doing it modularly so that if you buy, let's say, a piece of furniture and want to upgrade it later to wireless charging, you can buy that module for under $40, plug that into your furniture, and add wireless charging later. So IKEA, again, is playing to their strengths with modular design, modular build. You can actually add the wireless charging feature later. I think that's brilliant. I'm excited, too. And Arlene has every reason to be excited about about this. She does. It's, it's it's extremely exciting. I mean, they're they're building it into obviously things that make sense where you might put your phone, like side tables, end tables, some lamps that have platforms, and those right. modules are really cool. I mean, they fit into cup holders and various things, so you can throw them everywhere, which is really really neat. You can order stuff online now at IKEA.com if you want. If you want to see what might fit into your you know dorm room or wherever you want to put that stuff, you're going to want to check that out, which is pretty cool. Android Wear, Mitchell. You can put them anywhere. Yeah, Android Wear. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Go ahead. Go Android ahead. Wear. Android Wear is Google's proprietary smartwatch platform, and it, it, it's the most, I guess, the well-known other than Pebble um, out there because it's been it's been released in several devices. Well, they are working on an app to get notifications from your iOS device, meaning your iPhone, onto Android Wear, making their watches compatible with iOS, which is extremely important, especially with the Apple Watch having been released. Uh, absolutely, and now they're now they're saying, well, uh, it used to be that well, if you're a Google, you know, if you're an Android owner, you stick with Android devices, and you know, then the like. But now they know that Apple Watch is going to be extremely popular, uh, and I don't think there's any doubt about that. People are buying and going to buy the watch, uh, so Android is giving people a compelling reason, iPhone users and owners, to maybe look their direction. And I have to tell you, some of the Galaxy, you know, the, the, some of the Galaxy, some of the Android-based watches. 
are absolutely beautiful. They work very, very well. Great displays, great feature set. The only thing that was lacking for me, if an Android you know device was not your daily you know user, not your daily watch or daily you know phone, you had no access to any of the features. So now, if you are an Apple user, maybe you want to try and go for an Android Wear watch and use all of your Apple features on that. I think it's really smart to take some of the market away from Apple and gear people toward their watch line, which is really nice. We're expecting to hear an official announcement um, later in May when Google holds its I.O. developers conference. So there's no official word. They have to still get it approved by Apple. I think it wouldn't be necessarily a smart move by Apple to deny that. They've allowed the Glass app in the App Store. So I think it makes sense. You know, competition breeds some uh, some some healthy uh, experiences. Innovation, there. absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I hope it happens, and I think it will. Uh, it's just it'll be interesting to see how Apple reacts so closely to the launch of their own watch, yeah. which they want to sell. They don't want to. They're not in the business of selling Android watches, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. This is why I think it's starting in rumor form, and it's going to be announced later in May. Uh, Apple released OS X Yosemite 10.10.3. This was interesting. This whole beta cycle with both uh, Yosemite and iOS because they let the public get in on the beta cycle. I think they realized when they released Yosemite and iOS 8 that there were a lot of things that could have and should have been fixed before it even launched. And using the public to beta test this expanded the pool of bug testing, I mean, tenfold, if not a thousandfold. So 10.10.3 came out with uh, the most prominent of the new features is the new Photos app that replaces iPhoto. It's being pretty well received, especially in the digital photography realm, um, but a lot of improvements across the board. Wi-Fi, compatibility with Wi-Fi networks and environments, Bluetooth fixes, um, lots of stuff across the board on Yosemite. And, of course, you know, the biggest issue being software compatibility. Other programs from other manufacturers and developers working with Yosemite. Why do I always want to call it Yosemite? Because it makes <laughs> me giggle. On Yosemite. And, uh, yeah, and uh, am I crazy, Mark? Or are we seeing uh, the newer versions, newer updates to both the mobile and desktop platform, uh, you know, with iOS and Yosemite, coming out faster and faster? I don't know if it's because of their new products demands on these on the software or the consumer end demand, but to me, Apple is being much more responsive, and they've always been pretty responsive to their user base, but I find that recently, in the last six to eight months, we've seen faster and faster, more and more updates, and it only bodes well in the consumer end and only helps with new products like Apple Watch or the new you know laptops that come out with new feature sets, compatibility being what it is, so uh, kudos to Apple for getting these things out in a timely manner and I haven't had time to spend with the new uh, with the new build of Yosemite but I'll give you my thoughts for what that's worth next week. You know what they they are being pretty aggressive with it and they're also timing things accordingly like 10.10.3 came out the exact same day that iOS 8.3 came out which fixes right. pretty much every complaint that anybody has had on iOS since it's launched in iOS 8. Siri is smarter, she supports more features, she's a little bit more friendly, I guess. She's a bit more responsive. The voice is a bit more conversational. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, it supports Apple Watch features. Wireless CarPlay is there. Wi-Fi calling is enabled on certain carriers like Sprint in the U.S. Overall, a lot, a lot of fixes on iOS 8.3, which I'm truly enjoying. Uh, You know, I also wanted to bring up a little something uh, on iOS 8.3, which was released this week as well. Uh, People are seeing some slight bugs happening in terms of their settings being reset, things like predictive text, things that we've seen in the past have been happening that will get fixed. Those things are going to work themselves out. Do not sweat it. Do not be afraid to do the upgrade. It is a great upgrade. One other complaint we've had about 8.2, not just 8.3, but 8.2 previously is, if you've noticed, and we talked about this when it actually happened, there is a new iWatch or uh, sorry, Apple Watch icon now on your on, on the top of your phone, on your desktop of your phone, basically on your homepage. It cannot be gotten rid of. Nope. It must be buried in a folder that you name things I don't want to see. Uh, you can put it in a folder. People have been asking us about this. We've been getting emails. The new Apple Watch uh, app cannot be removed. And for people that don't know, yes, they do a healthy amount of advertising for the watch with that app. But the app's primary, well, actually, the app, one of the app's purposes is to synchronize your new Apple Watch if and when you get one with your phone. But the other purpose, uh, yeah, advertising again to people interested in buying the Apple Watch. And no, you cannot get rid of that app. DJI announces their Phantom 3 quadcopter. Is it a quadcopter? I don't even know why I call it, it's it a quadcopter. Quad. It's, it's a quadcopter. Quad. It is yes, their latest absolutely. drone. And this one it, uh, looks pretty sexy, doesn't it, Mitchell? I think we're looking at 4K recording now. 
4K recording, <laughs> downward-facing camera, two different models to choose from, uh, and a professional and advanced model. The advanced is $999. The professional at $1250 has a slightly different look. Even the stickers are a little bit different. I mean, the main body of it looks like a Phantom. They kind of purposely make all their craft look the same, so you kind of can identify a DJI product. But I'm looking at the little gold badging now instead of the traditional red. Uh, yeah, I think it's important that they actually got this out now because we're seeing a new announcement of this something we all also want to tease, 3DR. You know, we reviewed 3D Robotics Iris Plus on a previous episode of the show. They're coming out with a brand new drone that they've been teasing this next week. On the 13th, we are going to be seeing a new drone from 3DR. Uh, we're seeing stuff from a company called Unique that has their, you know, FPV flyer out there. So DJI is no longer the only game in town. So putting out new iterations and new models... It's very important. We haven't gotten our hands on a Phantom 3 yet, but uh, from the looks of it, we are going to be wanting to get our hands on it very quickly. I love some of the demo footage that they use when they're promoting products, and this new DJI Phantom um, it opens up with a volcano, you know, the active volcano, and then moves into beautiful, beautiful 4K imagery that you know you'd never be able to get unless you were in a helicopter. And that would not cost you $1,000, let alone $1,250. That'll cost you $10,000 to get that kind of imagery. And you're getting it, and you're seeing it in places you wouldn't even realize it, Mitchell. I'm seeing shows like House Hunters and some of these love it or <laughs> listed flybys, things using right? flybys, yeah. and you know that they're doing it with a drone because they don't have the money to, uh, you know, afford helicopter, and you don't need it anymore. You really don't. And, and, you know, it's funny seeing these different drones and quads that come out sort of adopt each other's technology. Remember when the AR drone from Parrot First oh, came I out? I do, I do. It, di- it didn't have GPS built in. It actually used a downward-facing camera to know where it was positioned, to give it positioning in a space. Actually, the new Phantom 3 uses that same technology. There's a new additional camera, like I said, on the, mounted on the bottom of the Phantom 3 that will actually let it know if there's no GPS lock. For example, if it's indoors where you cannot get a GPS lock, it will know its positioning based on this downward-facing camera. So they are aiding tech, they're using technology now to aid it for, an er- for areas that maybe have a hard time getting traditional GPS lock or indoors where you can't get it. So it's funny to see them going backwards a little bit using technology we've seen before to address a problem that current day products have. So again, can't wait to get my hands on this one. It is your tech report. I'm Mark Aflalo. He is Mitchell Whitfield. Again, on Twitter, it's at your tech report where we share all this fun news. Microsoft announced an interesting uh, addition to their Office Online suite. That's basically their competitor with, uh, with you know, iCloud Online, where you can actually edit your documents and work with your documents. Previously, you were only able to access your own personal OneDrive space, but they've added Dropbox integration to there. Not only you know, you know, affirming the fact that Dropbox is a major player in the cloud storage front, but it really gives you access to work on documents and files on no matter what computer, no matter what device, no matter where you are. So it's a welcome addition, and it's 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 really interesting to see Microsoft add that when they have their own service as competing directly with Dropbox. Yeah, and it sort of brings up an interesting issue for me, Mark. I don't know if you feel the same way. You'll have to tell me. As much as, as excited as I am to see all these options in terms of cloud storage and integration with different companies and Microsoft using using you know this new tech and I, you know integrating with Dropbox where they have their own uh, OneDrive, I, I'm starting. I, I'm wondering: Are we going to start to see? customer confusion because everyone is lining up and taking sides. Apple has always been proprietary. They're always going to go with their iCloud drive, right? They're always going to go with iCloud storage, right? Yeah. Uh, Microsoft had been proprietary with OneDrive and now they're opening up to Dropbox. So are we going to see customer confusion where they're going to have to choose your platform and don't move from that because if you're a Microsoft guy, you're staying here. If you're an Apple guy, you're staying here. But now we're seeing subdivisions within these big computer gamers that I, I, I don't know. Do you think it's going to risk confusing customers with too many <sighs> options for cloud storage. I don't I, I don't know there are so many options and pricing really makes the makes makes it make it or break it. I mean Amazon just announced $60 a year for unlimited storage on their cloud environment. So it makes me even question whether I continue to use Dropbox or not. But Dropbox still has a great feature set. I think I think as long as you're set in your ways and you know what you want to use and it's compatible with the way that you use your devices and the and the software and the online software that you use, you won't be too confused. But those who are not yet ingrained in that online storage world, they're going to get exactly. most confused with what's going on. 
That's what I mean. The people that are actually jumping in now yeah. and saying, okay, here I am. I'm, I'm investing in a computer and I want some cloud storage. Well, and I guess the best way to look at it is sort of how we broke it down. You know, Apple has their proprietary solution. Microsoft actually gives you options, which is very cool. You know, it integrates a product that's been around for a long time in addition to their own service. So Microsoft may be, you know, ahead of the curve here, actually giving people choices if they want to go for online storage. So Samsung is uh, shipping their Galaxy Edge and Galaxy S6. It is now arriving in people's hands. But there are some, uh, some fun bend-the-gate issues with their devices. People have been posting issues with the device bending, with different drop tests. So what they've done is instead of sitting back and waiting, they've been releasing their own footage showing what they do to test their devices. And, and you can see that you know in the drop tests, they're doing it from different heights, chest height, and, and we're getting some good results. So it's interesting to see them come on the offensive, and I think it's necessary at this point. Absolutely. And this is sort of akin to, you know, it, it drove me crazy when someone sued uh, for, you know, what was it? They sued McDonald's for burning themselves with hot coffee. Yeah. It's hot <laughs> coffee, folks. It's supposed to burn. It's what hot coffee does. Uh, and, and basically, if you take a, a hammer or a drill press to your device or put it in your back pocket and in tight pants and repeatedly sit on it, it will eventually break, folks. Yeah. That's what <laughs> things do. They break. <laughs> so obviously, it's, you know, if you use your device intelligently, no one should ever worry about their Galaxy S6 or Galaxy 6 Edge, S6 Edge, or their iPhone, for that matter, breaking or bending. It's not an issue. Just be smart about the way you use your devices. Don't put it on your back pocket and sit on a drill press. How about that? Let's give that to our listeners. Don't put your device in your back pocket and then sit on a drill press. It's bad form on many levels, okay? YouTube has confirmed its plans to launch an ad-free subscription service. If you think of things like HBO Now, which launched a couple weeks for the Game of Thrones premiere, this seems to be the way that everybody's going. This subscription-based service to consume your live and on-demand television. The major networks have their own services. They're doing it. I think the future is here now, Mitchell. I think that streaming services are becoming popular. Apple was smart to wait in their negotiations and launching something. But now it's heating up, and we're going to see some fun action in this one. Oh, absolutely. But are, are we going back to what we just said in the previous in the previous story about, you know, are we are we running the risk of, well, the companies we don't care running. about confusing I customers. Yeah. I, I think this has gotten, the streaming, the streaming space has gotten extremely confusing. And uh, we talked about this, you know, we talked about this on the website years ago when we first started the radio show a couple of years ago. Uh, we, we, we really do know that the way that people consume media now, the, I think the, the model for television, the current model for television, the network-based, the advertiser-slash-sponsorship-based television that we're used to is going to go the way of the dodo bird. Eventually, every show will either be pay-per-view, it'll either be streaming for individual channels, uh, but now there are so many players in the space, Mark. You just mentioned in one breath. You're yeah. talking about Slingbox. You're talking every about network. HBO. Every network has yeah. their own. The only thing I'm hoping is that a company... Uh, a company like Apple, a company like Roku, a company like Hulu can sort of straighten this mess out and give us a place to go. Microsoft might be the way to go as well, because as we know, the Xbox One is not just a brilliant yeah. gaming machine. It's a great streaming device. But I think we're getting so fragmented in terms of who's streaming individual channels versus individual blocks of channels. The consumer is not ready yet to do this until it can be handed to them in a neat and tidy manner. And I think the Apples, the Microsofts of the world are the companies that are going to be sort of unifying all these platforms. But it could be a software service like Hulu or Roku as yeah. well. So I just need it to get straightened out because I think too, too many people that want to get in don't know exactly where to go right now. It is your tech report. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Marco Flalo. We're going to dive into the Apple Watch. You can get your hands on it right now, or, you know, maybe you did get your hands on it. Did you order one? Mitchell tried. Ooh. I yeah. did. <laughs> well, Don't I know. My face. we'll talk about all that and more when we come back right here on your tech report. There's more your tech report after this. This is your tech report. For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com. Or you can go on Twitter at your tech report. Or how about Facebook.com slash your tech report? Mitchell, it was inevitable. The time has arrived this past Friday at uh, well, for me it was 301 AM Eastern. For you it was 1201. 1201 Eastern. And you were able yeah. to oh sorry, hang on a second. I was able to order the Apple Watch, but you did not have so much luck, did you? Uh, no, I, I can't. I can't hear myself right now. It's uh, my, my eyes are bleeding, my ears are bleeding. I'm, I'm annoyed. 
Uh, yeah, you know what? It just it wasn't so much that I wasn't able to do it. It's that Apple really changed the rules of engagement here. Uh, up until the very literally the last minute mark, Apple had told us the way that the ordering process was going to work. And yes, we knew that you'd be able to go online, which you did. Place your order, have it delivered to your home, fully paid for, done. Right? And it was honestly, it was actually one of the most painless experiences I've had ordering a brand new product from Apple because the site worked. It came up within minutes of of, of you know past midnight Pacific time. Normally, I've waited hours, if not you know sometimes much longer than that. But it was really quick. I favorited the. I did two versions of the watch. Which yeah, that's great apparently for you. I'm, I'm is, is very good happy for you. you maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really nice for me. No, you're, you're, you're going to end up going for the larger size, and I'll be screwed to you. But listen, so you're right. I mean, and if you were actually ordering the watch online yes. and paying for it, and you got in within a minute of it going live at 12.01, and I'm saying this for a reason, folks, then yes, it was a good experience. But here's what bothered me. Uh, as I started to say before, Apple sort of changed the rules. Right up until uh, 12.01, everything went live on the Apple Store. Yes. They had said, Apple had said, even on their website, you'll be able to pre-order and reserve for in-store pickup online, at which point you'll come in the store and pay when it arrives on the 24th. Great. Which for me was the perfect storm because I have Apple gift cards I'm going to use toward my purchase. And you can't use those online, right? Well, you can't use multiple forms of payment online. So if you're going to pay partially through gift cards and then the rest through credit card, you actually have to do that in store. You can't physically do that online. So here I was saying, hey, Apple realizes some customers like to do things with gift cards, do things differently. This is catered to me. Yay, this is going to be great. So I go on last night, ready to do the, you know, reserve and ship to store. And lo and behold, there's no option. You cannot click currently unavailable. So the only thing you can do would actually be to pre-order, pay for the watch in full to be delivered to your house. But Mark, if you hesitated for more than 30 seconds, and I mean that literally 30 seconds, yeah. where, you're, where you had to change gears and say, oh, now I have to order to the store. Shipment slipped from April 24th to four to six weeks. If yeah. you waited another five minutes, shipment slipped to June. So within basically seven or eight minutes of thinking that I was going to have my watch picking up in store on reservation, paying for it with my gift cards and credit card, it was delivery in June. And now we hear from Apple Mark that in fact, and they've been getting a lot of emails about this, there is no reservation system in place. There is no in-store pickup of any kind, whether wow. you paid in full or paid partially. The first wave, at least as far as we know, as Tim Cook said, uh, late, late Thursday, early Friday morning, it's only going to be home delivery for now for that first wave of watches. So here I am, brokenhearted, oh. went on the app and only got nothing. You know, I'm I'm trying to find a solution here for you. I'm looking at the uh yeah. the 38 millimeter 18 karat yellow gold for $17,000. Even that one. That's an option. No, yeah. but you know what, even that one's shipping in June. I think every single variation of this watch is now shipping in June beyond. I mean, Mitchell, it was I I hit buy within the first minute of right. them going live and I managed to get one. Then I said, "Let me try my luck on the smaller size." I hit buy and I managed to get through. And even mine, they don't commit. It says delivery between April 24th and May 8th. Right. I think that's what they just by default say, you know, delivers by that date, but within a minute, like when I was talking to you a couple moments after, it slipped to 4 weeks, it slipped to now everything's in June. So, I mean, this is typical unfortunately, but as you said, there's a lot of people who don't necessarily want to throw it all in one card. You have all these gift cards and and things like that, which really, really suck. I'm sorry. No, you know, know, yeah, it's it's just frustrating. And once once again, I can deal with supply constraints. Uh, We all know that, you know, Apple tends to sell through very quickly initial supply runs. We know that they tend not to have all the units they're going to have within the first two weeks. It's a slow ramp up process for production. We know that in the tech world, and I could deal with that. I could have dealt with going on having to do my reservation in-store pickup and having it slip to a certain amount of weeks behind that, I could have dealt with. But to completely change the frustration on my part, and this is good, because maybe I'm feeling like a lot of our listeners are, and I'm not sitting here saying, hey, I got mine. I didn't get mine. And I'm genuinely disappointed, and not because they ran out, because they changed the rules. They changed the way at the last minute, oh, sorry, we're not going to be doing reservations. We were kidding, ha-ha. And that part of it is what really, really got to me, because I was kind of looking forward to it. As you know, this is one of those gadgets. I've been waiting for, for Apple to make a watch for years, so I'm genuinely bummed, and I'm not hiding it. I'm not hiding it on the radio. I want people to hear. Oh, I feel just so that I'm really upset about it still. 
<laughs> oh, Mitchell, you know what? You will, know. you will have the watch. Unfortunately, we got to wait two weeks. But you can go in store today. The reservation system is online and working to get uh, your hands on 15 minutes. And I don't know about your that area. I yeah, yeah, I don't know about your area. My area is still pretty wide open. There's not... Uh, not a lot of uh, not a lot of booked up slots. I was originally scheduled for this morning, uh, sorry Friday morning, and uh, I'm going to end up going uh, later in the afternoon. Depending on when you're listening to this, I will have done that already. But uh, right, it's uh, it, I'm I'm just curious to know which size is going to fit my wrist and and actually get my hands on time with this watch, which is pretty cool. And you made a good point, which is because uh, I told you, you know, there are plenty of apps and uh, websites you can go to where you can do a paper cutout to see actually how it looks on your wrist, the two different, the 38 and the 42 millimeter. But Mark, as you pointed out before we went on the air, uh, that doesn't account for the thickness of the watch. You know, not, not only how large it is yeah, in terms of area tell. that it takes up, but how far off your wrist it actually sits. Uh, so, yeah, there, there are many factors to, to be had here and to uh, to figure out. But I, I still, I, I guess there's a part of me that that little, you know, tech lover, schoolboy in me that still has that hope that something will work out. I'll be able to get my hands on one before <laughs> June. Uh, I'm not counting on it, but if you were one of the people that had an experience like me where you were expecting one thing and you were surprised by the reservation system, we are sorry because we know we gave you information a couple of weeks ago, but Apple literally changed the rules at the last minute. So it's not, and I, I think I even said at the time, Apple may be changing how they do this. Yeah, I, I think- didn't expect it to be one minute before they actually did the soft launch last night, you know, two nights ago. I'm yeah, curious to know what uh, what what factors are involved with that stuff. I think it might be supply because they were also expected to have uh, versions of the new MacBook in store available for sale. Uh, I spoke to an Apple rep literally at like eight fifty eight, a couple of minutes before nine p.m. closing time on Thursday, and they said, "Yeah, we're going to have the new MacBook in store," and they didn't even have any delivered in time for the launch, so they don't have those in store yet. They have demo units, but not the actual MacBook, which is which is you know. Again, misinformation or just lack of information across the board. And we, and we know, listen, we, we've seen companies, I don't think Apple's guilty of this necessarily, we've seen artificial uh, artificial shortages where they underproduce something and say, oh, we sold out, we only made three of them, but hey, we sold out. I don't think that's the case, but you know, the fact that they sold through their initial allotment that were that they were thinking maybe for April 24th within the first two minutes, that's I insane. mean, those that those are crazy numbers, and that, that speaks to two things, either the incredible popularity or the incredibly uh, scarce amount of units we're going to see. I think it also shows you how uh, robust their their data centers and systems are right now because they were never able to handle the demand for something like this um, in the past, which is why the numbers didn't slip that fast. I mean, remember iPhones and stuff like that. So uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. We'll see as those ship dates increase, as they produce more and more models. They also have a better gauge of what people are looking for. And I think that that sport model, that entry level model is the popular one. So we will talk more about the Apple Watch in the in the weeks to come. Mitchell, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about gaming. A little spotlight on some fun games like MLB The Show and, of course, Mario. We'll be back. Your tech report will be right back. Now, back to your tech report. Yes, indeed, Mark Aflalo, Mitchell Whitfield with you. Your tech report on Twitter at your tech report, facebook.com slash your tech report. Mitchell, a couple weeks back, we were so excited for the release of MLB The Show 15 that we spoke to San Diego Studios, belonging to them, um, Ramon Russell. Way to answer that every year, let's say we put 100 features in the game, well, that's 50 features that was on that list that didn't get put in. So every other year, we'll always have those 50-plus features that we couldn't put in the year we wanted to that we can get in the very next year. So there's always something that we want to do uh, that we just can't put in. You know, when you hear, first of all, Ramon was great. He told us about the game, and now that I've had hands-on time with the game, I really appreciate the subtleties and the detail of what he went into in our interview. You know, the problem with uh, putting out a new game every year, I shouldn't say the problem because it's a brilliant game, the challenges of putting out a new game every year, Mark, are not that dissimilar from companies like you know Apple or Samsung putting out a new phone every year where you have to put in a certain amount of new features to justify a new device or a new game, but at the same time not tinker too much with what already works. So you're always riding that line between innovating and becoming evolutionary but not becoming revolutionary to the point of messing up what's already good, right? Basically, if it ain't break, broke, don't fix it, but exactly. also give us something that we want so that we're going to buy this game and it's going to be a new experience. And it puts companies like San Diego Studio in a very interesting position because let's start. Let, let me get this out of the way right now. Uh, I really do believe that MLB The Show 15 is 
a compelling enough reason to own a PlayStation 4. For Those the whole are pretty console. bold for the whole console. Those wow. are pretty bold words. Words. Uh, I know there are other games that you know. It's more. Um, you hear more statements like this. Um, but I, I'm a gamer that loves sporting games. Uh, I've stopped watching baseball as much as I used to, but I still play baseball video games. Part of it being because I can actually control the tempo of it. But okay, and that was where I was going to ask. I was going to ask: Does MLB The Show 15 make baseball any less boring than it is? Oh, absolutely, because, <laughs> oh, well, listen, and that's just not this iteration. I mean, you can look at previous generations and versions of yeah. MLB The Show, and they've always innovated on the side of how do we keep the baseball experience solid but still give people a compelling experience in a shorter amount of time. There, there's a there's a setting that you could play the entire game. You can play last pitch, which, you know, that you'll start off with a count of three and two, wherever the actual uh, strikeout hit is going to take place. Oh, you cool. go to that place in the count. Uh, you know, there's Road to the Show, which lets you take your player from minor leagues all the way to the pros to being an all-star to being a legend. It's really cool. So if you look at this series, Mark, it has always been a great series. This year, they take it one step farther. And I think it bothers me when I'm reading reviews from some really well-known websites, really well-known television and or radio outlets that say, well, you know, they added some really cool features, but it isn't completely different. Well, hello, why would you take something that was already brilliant and try to make it completely different? Look at what you're asking for. You want something to be better and better each year, but you want it to be completely different. Those two things are, are mutually exclusive. If you want something to be fantastic every year, you have to build upon what has worked for you in the past. And I think that's what San Diego Studio really has done here. They've taken the core experience, and by the way, they made a brilliant transition from previous gen to this generation of consoles. I thought their first outing last year on the PS4 was absolutely wonderful. But they've taken that mark and they've tweaked it. A game that already looked fantastic now looks even better. And Ramon talked about what they did with the lighting. The lighting system, the shading system, both the shadows and the lighting are fantastic. And it makes a huge difference when you're playing a game and it transitions from day into the evening and you can actually see that shading and the shadows. Everything changes dynamically. The game looks gorgeous. It really is like you're watching a game. There's no doubt about it. This game is visually stunning, and those improvements are absolutely noticeable from one year to another. What are the other nuances that you've noticed in gameplay, whether it be the multiplayer or the online aspect of it, that, that really stand out from last year? Uh, well, let's talk about some of the feature set that really makes it stand out. They, they finally went to year-to-year saves, meaning you're not just importing your team from MLB The Show 14. You're actually continuing what you started on that game awesome. into MLB The Show 15, which is a great feature for people that get, you know, one of the sad parts is if you get hooked on a game like MLB The Show 14, and I'm hooked on my team and I want to continue where I left off, well, now MLB The Show 15 lets you actually do that, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, They added little subtle things like licensed equipment. And once again, this doesn't seem like a lot from the outside, but if if you know that your particular favorite player has a Mizuno glove and uses certain batting gloves and certain bats, these subtle changes, they're all actually within the game. Uh, They actually have legends now in the game. 30 major league iconic legends are actually in the game now. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you, I mean, they're... Every little thing that I'm talking about actually adds up to a big change, and they actually have tweaked the hitting engine a little bit, so now directional hitting, so much better control, because it used to be that I felt that pitchers used to have an advantage in the game. If you were playing online, and you were playing against a great pitcher, a great pitcher always had an advantage against a great hitter, because the pitcher knew what they were going to do. The batter had to be reactive, the pitcher was being active. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. Yeah, so in these games, sometimes hitting was a little bit of a challenge, now, not only is hitting has hitting gotten better and better every year, but now in terms of my positioning of where I want the ball to go without doing too much work and having to press a million buttons, it's just a slight adjustment for me on the stick, and I find I can put the ball wherever I want it to go. So uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was online. Playing the game online was seamless. It was as if I was playing locally. That's how good the experience was wow. with strong frame rates, no dropouts, no pausing of the game. So at every level, Mark, playing this game was a fantastic experience and I really felt like I need to mention or that I needed to mention when we started the expectations that people have you can't have a fantastic experience every year and expect complete dynamic changes every year because as I said you don't want to lose what made this game great to me 
kudos to everyone at San Diego Studio for taking something great, not messing around with what worked, and adding enough subtle changes that added up to big changes for the player at the end of the day. So, fantastic game. You can get it now. I'm actually currently, I'm going to talk about the Vita version in a couple of weeks. I'm playing with the Vita version as well. It's on the PS3, Vita, PS4, available right now. And if you are a baseball fan, a baseball video game fan, and I tell you, this game is reason enough to get yourself a next-gen console. Or get it on the Vita, get it on the PS3. They look great on there, too. But as far as the PS4 goes, this is a system seller and a fantastic, fantastic game. That's a strong that's a strong statement, I, I, I think. I believe it, though. Yeah. I genuinely believe it. I, I, I believe you do. Let's move on to a <laughs> Nintendo, shall we? Let's because do that. Nintendo, yes, they still exist. You know, we, we talk about them as much as we talk about them. And we're big fans of the Wii U. And yep. uh, they're still innovating a lot. We're still waiting for the mobile games, but we're, that's, that's still a while away. Well, thankfully that, you know, we have amazing games on the Wii U to, uh, to keep us distracted while waiting for things to evolve on the mobile <laughs> side. Something Nintendo, again, never say never, because they said we will never do that. And look, now we're going to be gaming um, you know, on our mobile devices. You know, we know exactly how it's going to happen, but ooh, it's baby. coming. Ooh, baby. Uh, ooh, baby. With Mario on your phone, that's fantastic. Um, interestingly enough, I think that Mario Party 10 for the Wii U uh, just came out a week or so ago runs into the same issue in terms of perception that MLB The Show 15 runs into, which is people expect a game that has always been great. And, and, and Mark, when it comes to playing a party game, play, when it comes to having a group of people over and playing a party game on your video game console, this is the game that people play as a party game. This is the one that you have for multiple people at your house playing with... The, it, it's basically a virtual board game as a, as a you know... As a console game, yeah. it combines the best of a board game with the best of a console game, which is why I've always loved the Mario Party series on any console I've played on. But I think they run into the same situation where people expect, okay, how can we make this completely revolutionary? And, oh, they really added some cool changes. Well, folks, again, there's nothing wrong with the Mario Party concept to begin with. To me, making the move to the Wii U, the biggest thing that we see, Mark, is a huge graphical improvement, a huge jump in terms of what the game looks like. And I I've said it a thousand times, you know, Nintendo games have never been about having the most cutting-edge graphics and the super hyper-realistic look, but even in the cartoony, you know, Nintendo look that their games tend to have, you can tell that they put a lot of love and a lot of work to making this high-definition version of Mario Party 10 look absolutely gorgeous on the Wii U. But they also added some things, and Mark, one of the things we talked about on the show is, okay, you have a, you have a console like the Wii U. Is it selling like uh, the Xbox One or PlayStation 4? No. But it also is at a lower price point and does things differently, and I love the way the Wii U works, and I especially love when developers come up with creative ways to use that tablet, you know, the, the main control yes, yeah, of the screen control, on yeah. it. And they really did. For Mario Party 10, there are multiple game modes. Uh, you know, one traditional you know game mode that has 70 new mini-games. If you love the mini-games, I don't know if you've ever played Mario Party before, Mark, but it's, it's loaded with dozens and dozens of these mini-games that you play against your fellow players, or sometimes you team up and play against the AI. It's really cool. Multiple new, 70 new mini-games. But they found a clever way to use the tablet controller. One of the new ways they do that is they have something called they have a new Bowser mode where a fifth player can play with the other four players using their little Wii motes and play as Bowser. <laughs> so basically, you're playing as the bad guy of the game cool. using your tablet controllers. A totally different experience, yeah. completely unique experience to this series. And I, I had a blast as a player against Bowser. I had a blast playing as Bowser against my family. So immediately, they're taking what they have in the hardware and using it to innovate on the side of Mario Party 10, which I absolutely loved. Also, what what do we what do we talk about innovation on the Nintendo side? Using Amiibo. As we know, there's a little space on the tablet controller that's been there since the beginning that has an NFC chip built in that is meant to use your Amiibo on. Well, there's a whole Amiibo party mode, Mark. You know, they came out with 10 new Amiibo definitely that were dedicated basically just to Mario Party 10 that when you put the Amiibo on your tablet controller, it not only, you know, unlocks for you, you know, unlocks new features for you on a daily basis, new looks, new skins for your Amiibo. But each Amiibo figure has his own playing board. 
Oh, that's so cool. when you're when you're doing amiibo mode, you can actually, depending on which amiibo you have in your collection, when you tap it and enter it and register it on your Wii U, it opens up an entire a whole new board. It opens up a whole <laughs> new board for you to play on, adding that much more longevity and play experience to the game. They even have dedicated mini games that you can play that rival some of the best mini games you've played on your mobile device. All in all, the experience to me has been completely refreshed, not just by the look of the game, by the new modes, including Bowser mode and Mii mode, uh, sorry, Amiibo mode, and it just, it it really takes the game to me to that next level and made it feel like a next-gen experience because I'm able to experience the game in ways that I haven't been able to in the past, and it looks great. Plus, you have all those new mini-games. So to anyone that's looking online and seeing, well, you know, it's, it's Mario Party 10 for the Wii U, don't look it's at it that way. Yet. It's Mario Party 10 for the Wii U. Oh, the with, excitement, Mitchell. <laughs> you know, with new game modes, ways to integrate your Amiibo in there. And, you know, Nintendo, you, you guys are evil geniuses because just to unlock these different boards on my particular Wii U, I'm going out like every other week, or not every other week, every other few days and getting myself another Amiibo figure. Oh, so shame on you, Nintendo, for making me do this because now I want to unlock all those different boards. So, yeah, it's a great way to integrate their, their Amiibo universe into all their gaming. So, love the game, love the new look, uh, love the new integration, and definitely worth picking up if you love Mario Party and you are a Wii U owner. So, a reason to have a Wii U and a reason to have a PlayStation. Yeah, it's absolutely. all fun in games, isn't it, isn't it, Mitchell? Uh, yeah. Until it's someone your loses an eye, yeah. Mitchell Whitfield, Mark Aflalo. We'll be back with just a bit more from your emails after this. There's more Your Tech Report after this. This is Your Tech Report. Now time for Ask Your Tech Report. Mitchell, I have an email here from Bob Beers, and it says, I'm moving into a new home this summer, and there's a room I want to dedicate to my man cave, or his media room. He goes, what, <laughs> I love he, that, yeah. Don't you love that? He goes, what size TV would you recommend? There's some windows, but I can control the light pretty well. And then he says, the best kicker at the end, he goes, oh, wait a second, maybe I should use a projector. Yeah, talk about stealing our thunder, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. Now, this is something that home theater enthusiasts have known for years, Mark, and that is uh, the joys and wonders of having a digital projector. And I think so many people, especially now that TV sizes are getting so large, they're thinking, oh, can we just, can we get a 70-inch television? And not only do a lot of people not have the room, they also don't have, these these television sets get incredibly expensive as they get large. So having a digital projector is an excellent solution. And there, I mean, there are so many to choose from. And there are some brands I think that we like more than others. But uh, I think digital projector, Mark, would be the way to go. Would you agree? I, I think so, too. But, you know, I don't think that we're necessarily the right people to answer this question. So while you were talking there, Mitchell, I, yeah. I, I made a quick phone call. And uh, I have someone who I think is an expert in this field. His name is Jeffrey Shea. He's a senior product manager at ViewSonic. Jeffrey, how uh -huh. are you? Uh, thank you. Thank you for everybody to have me here. Well, I, you know, we're really excited to have you here because uh, right now, what should people be looking for when they're shopping for projectors? What's the most important thing to look for in terms of features? Is it the brightness? Is it the, the lumens? Is it the inputs? What would you say is the most important thing to look at? The color accuracy should be the first, very first important thing they need to look into uh, before they select the right projector for their environment. A lot of people worry that they don't have the space for a digital projector. They think of projecting, they think of movie theaters, they think of very long, deep rooms. But with your technology now, I think ViewSonic has a great lineup of short-throw projectors. Could you explain to our audience the advantage of having a short-throw projector if you don't have the room? Uh, when we talk about a short-throw in the home environment, Normally, we're talking about the 0.9 to 1.2, 1.3, this type of a throw ratio. You can install within a 100-inch distance. Oh, wow. So, so really, so people don't really have to worry if they're in a smaller sized room. Because I think, Jeffrey, I think that is the barrier for a lot of people. As I said before, they worry that if they're in a smaller room, they're forced to mm -hmm. get a television because they won't have the depth for that. But the ViewSonic short throws can actually throw a large image in a very short distance. Yes, that's correct. How big of, how big of an image can those short throw projectors actually project? Up to all of our uh, 1080p digital projectors can support up to 300 inch diagonal wow. uh, for the projection wow. image. So it's pretty, pretty large. You guys have a lineup that isn't obviously just on the consumer end, but you guys have a lineup that's also for businesses, uh, for education. These are just as, these products are just as at home in a classroom and in a business situation as they are in the home because obviously when people are doing presentations, whether it's lecturing or doing a business presentation, digital projectors 
are definitely the most cost-effective way to go, yes? We have a complete lineup for both the home users and also for those business type of, type of uh, users as well, especially in the education and the corporate uh, meeting environment. I was fortunate to, to get one of these projectors in hand, and I'm going to do a full hands-on review in the, in the coming weeks. I wanted to close on one question. 4K technology yeah. is uh, prevalent on a lot of televisions these days, and people are, are kind of getting slow to market to really support it. They're not sure if it's mature enough. Is, is 4K something that we're going to see on projectors in the coming years? Yes, I would say the end of this year, especially um, I'm looking at some time frame after the CDR this year, projection pretty much CES will be the time frame you can see pretty much solid, perfect performers uh, using the 4K technology. Jeffrey, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk all about projectors with us. We really, really do appreciate it. And we'll catch up with you uh, hopefully towards CES to talk about the brand new products for next year as well. Another email we have here, Mitchell, comes from uh, GamerGady222. It's okay. <laughs> I've heard you guys review Astro headphones in the past, and they yes. sound great. But I was hoping to spend under 100 bucks. Is that even possible? Uh, not only is it possible, it is an, an amazing experience. Uh, the ones that we're going to be talking about now that we're, you know, that I think are a great solution, especially for Xbox One gamers. Let, let's make this Xbox One specific for now. Okay. And obviously they have different models, but the one that I'm talking about is for Xbox One gamers. You know, the, you know, the company Skullcandy, Mark, yeah, they've been, a, they've been a great, yeah, they've been a great fashion brand in the world of headphones for a long time. They make really nice headphones. And the nice thing is they always kept the price incredible reasonable. Then I say fashion brand because they always had killer design. They always had good sound, but the killer design was what always brought me to Skull Candy. Well, I don't know if you know this, but a little while back, Skull Candy actually bought Astro. So really? Skull Candy and Astro are one and the same now. Well, I shouldn't say one and the same. They still remain autonomy, autonomous. You know, Astro has their own branded stuff and Skull Candy has their own branded stuff. But what it has allowed Skull Candy to do is to not only have their cool, fashionable brand and their fashionable look and their cutting edge design, but now they can leverage the great Astro features, the great sound from Astro headphones, and put those into their products as well. So basically, it's the best of both worlds. You have this great headphone that looks really cool. They kept the price really reasonable. Uh, and you have Astro technology built in. And they all come together with the Slayer for Xbox One. And that's S-L-Y-R in case you're tempted to call it something else. <laughs> so, it's the, it's, so it's the Skull Candy Slayer. Slayer for Xbox One. Retails for $99. And I'll get back to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and, and Mark, I'm going to hold, I'm going to show this to you. What makes it, what makes it, while you're doing that, what, what makes this, it, look X, at this thing. What makes it Xbox specific? Well, what, that's actually an excellent question. Thank you. Uh, like all great uh, Astro headphones that have the built-in sound mixer, yes. uh, the Slayer also has something called the GMX-1 mixer that is your connection to your controller. So although you don't, although it's technically wireless to your console, you do actually plug this GMX-1 into the bottom of your Xbox controller, and that's what gives it the power. That's what gives you the different controls. This mixer not only allows you to control volume, Mark, but it allows you, again, in true Astro fashion, even though this is a Skullcandy brand, uh, it allows you to mix the volume of your chat versus game audio. I love that. It allows you to, yeah, so you can really balance the sound the way that you like. The sound quality on this, again, we're talking under $100 here. Sound quality is absolutely brilliant. The microphone as a, a flip-out microphone, brilliant. Uh, the design of it, as you see, really, uh, it's all skull candy in terms of the way it looks. Really angular design with that great skull logo on the side. Even the GMX-1 mixer has the skull on it that when you mute it, turns red. It's really awesome. Has memory foam ear pads, very comfortable to wear. And if you look at the shape, of it. The shape doesn't necessarily give you the idea that they'd be this comfortable to wear. It has sort of a, an like angular kinda, shape. Yeah, exactly. But it is incredibly comfortable to wear. I sat down for two hours wearing these. Not only was I enjoying it and I had great sound, but the people on the other end that I was gaming with online, my buddies were saying, hey, you sound great, because I asked, how does the microphone sound? Can you hear me clearly? Oh, absolutely. You sound clear as a bell. So it's not like they had to skimp anywhere to get the price down to below $100 for the yeah. Slayer uh, for Xbox One. But again, if you're looking for something, Astro makes brilliant. You know, they make their A40 for Xbox One. They make the A50 wireless. But if you want to 
spend under $100. Look to Astro's other headphones, which are the Skullcandy brand, and look at the Slayer one for Xbox One. Retails for $99, Mark, but I've seen it in the $60 oh, range. Really? If you go, you know, the mid-60s, $62, 69 if you go to Amazon. So you can find these for even less. It's an amazing deal. And again, like their bigger brothers, the Astro brand, fantastic sound quality on these Skullcandy headphones. Is the, and you should, yeah. is the microphone adjustable, or is it one of those fixed fixed microphones that... Uh it's it's well it's adjustable in that it flips up and down it flips okay. out of the way so if you're in so the if you nice just thing want to is, use it as headphones you can do that as well exactly right and the way that it integrates uh, into the headphones and the earpieces themselves very clever the design uh, that's something we've always loved about Astro as well uh, in addition to Skull Candy very clever design not just great audio but the way they design their products to be aesthetically pleasing and simple to use again this mixer works beautifully plugs into your Xbox One controller and then you're wireless to your console so you can walk yeah. around your room anywhere great sound great value it's a Slayer Xbox One from Skull Candy I've never tried this with my Xbox what's the range on the wireless when you're walking around with your headphones have you tried that? Uh, yes, I have. And I've never, staying within the living room, dining room, kitchen area, I'd say I haven't gone more than like 30 or 40 feet away, uh, maybe 50 feet at the most, had no problem staying connected. Again, I think it, it, it's more about, you know, what kind of walls do you have old construction, how many walls you're walking through. Uh, but I've had no problem. I've never lost a connection while gaming. Um, same room, next room. Yeah, no, no issues at all. It is your tech report. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Mark Aflalo. Mitchell, thanks for another great week right here on the show. Again, if uh, people want to follow us on Twitter, it's at your tech report. Facebook.com slash your tech report. Our email address for people just like uh, Bob Beers and uh, Mr. Gamer Gears here. Uh, it's uh, contact at your tech report.com. And uh, all these interviews and stuff that we had and we featured in the shows available on our website as well as long as as well as previous interviews and stuff like that. So do follow us on Twitter. You get the latest there and uh, and lots more. Again, it's your tech report on behalf of Mitchell Whitfield. I am Mark Flallow. Thank you once again for joining us. We will see you here again and of course online at yourtechreport.com. You've been tuned in to Your Tech Report. Join us again next week for another edition. And be sure to follow Your Tech Report online. Email us, contact at yourtechreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at Your Tech Report. Like us on facebook.com slash yourtechreport. For the latest in breaking tech news and reviews, yourtechreport.com. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.